Hallelujah. So we're going to unfold more and more about the uh, uh, back as, as it comes forth. One of the things that we're going to do is the children, this is going to be so awesome. You know, we have never been in a position where we have a lot of children's equipment and props and stuff, but it's always been go back into a back closet somewhere, dig it out, try to hunt it. But where the, the children's room is having its own resource room, where the puppets will be readily accessible, everything. And then uh, the puppet stage is going to be built in. Uh, one of the oh, one of the most horrible things in the world is a puppet stage. <laughs> because they're always in the way. No matter where you go, to, you know, they're just big and bundlesome. Ours is going to be built into the wall where you go behind the wall and you can have puppets. You don't have to set up and tear down. Hallelujah. I mean, this is just so awesome to me. I could just talk about it all night. But instead... <coughs> We will talk about something more negative. Because <laughs> last week we talked about dealing with being getting tough to persecution, didn't we? Amen. Well, this week's not any more pleasant. Amen. God wants us to get tough. Amen. Hallelujah. Actually, what He wants us to do is realize we are tough. The reason you're tough is because you've got Jesus living on the inside of you. And He's greater. Amen. He's more than enough. He's the overcomer. He's how we overcome. And so he wants to get us to a realization of who we are in Christ and to get tough in that realization and quit bowing to the things that the devil sends against us. The things that come like persecution and what we're going to talk about tonight uh, come through the devil via spirits. From the devil via spirits. Uh, in other words... We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We should be careful being too angry with people for the things that they do to us or say to us. Or We should be careful being angry with people because it's, it's, uh, the, Satan uses people, you know. If you'll let him, he'll use you. In fact, I can guarantee you he has used you before, you know. How many of you have lost control of your mouth before and hurt somebody? <laughs> okay, true confessions. Hallelujah. You know, so we know that we've succumbed before. But some people succumb on a habitual basis. I mean, we resist that, don't we? I mean, we repent. We we turn from that. We say, God, I don't, I don't, you know, that's not me. That's not the real me. I've got the greater one inside of me. And so we resist that. And we grow up and we less and less are being able to be used by the enemy. But some people habitually yield themselves to that. They can habitually yield themselves to it till they actually become possessed by a demon. And people that go out and do mass murders and things like that, uh, uh, they are demon possessed. Amen. And <clears throat> and so and you can the way you get demon possessed is by yielding to it. People, children are not born demon possessed. You know, like Rosemary's baby. That was so long ago, y'all are all too young. You know, children are not born like that. Children become demon-possessed because they yield to the devil. The devil influences them. And you know, parents need to help their kids not yield to the devil. When your child disobeys, you need to help him not yield to the devil. You know, he needs to know, she or she needs to know that there is a consequence to yielding to the devil. Because if they habitually yield to that, pretty soon they just lose control. No more do they have control. And that can, you know, happen in many areas. Well, tonight we're going to talk about uh, getting tough to religious opposition. 
And it's kind of hard. It's kind of like the line is fuzzy between persecution and religious opposition. Uh, in other words, religious opposition can be can feel like persecution. And, you know, it can be persecution. But, but the thing about persecution is persecution can come sometimes and not have anything to do with doctrine. Do you see what I'm saying? Not have anything to do with that. It can come uh, for no reason. But uh, many times it does come for you didn't do anything. But religious opposition comes to oppose uh, the Word of God and what you believe. The religious opposition comes to come against truth in the earth today, to push back truth so that the word uh, does not have the uh, does not with God God's desire and what He wants us to speak is that the word of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea, and the word is truth, but religion is not truth. Amen. Now, religion can fool you because religion can have all this stuff that, you know, the Bible says like a form of godliness. It can have things that make us look, make it look like truth. If you think about um, Islam, there's things in the Islamic religion that look like truth. Well, they pray, and we know that prayer is, we believe in prayer. Amen. They probably sing. I've never seen them sing. They don't ever look too happy. But uh, they probably sing. I know, some, I, know, I know David Koresh down there in Waco. That was religious. <laughs> I mean, they sang, you know, hallelujah. And, you know, they, they use the words God and many times use Jesus. Hallelujah. Many times, and, and so it can look like it can look like Christianity sometimes. It can take on that form and, and have many of the things. Um, they, they fast. Religion likes to fast a lot. They do. Religion likes to always be fasting. So that looks, you know, that can look like. Religion can look very pious, can it? Religion, they will can fold their hands and even bow their heads. And, and wear certain things, maybe like a, a, a hooded robe or something, and it looks religious. I mean, it looks, it looks spiritual. I should say that because it is religious. It looks spiritual. Amen? And so what can it do? It can fool a lot of people, can't it? And so it could fool us, but we base our truth on the Word of God. And so we're not fooled. Amen? We're not fooled by religion. Now, sometimes people get a little fooled, but that's why we come to church, to get our eyes of our understanding in line. I'm going to read Matthew 15, verse 12, from the Amplified Bible. I want to tell you that Jesus faced religious opposition constantly. He was constantly facing religious opposition when He walked the earth, wasn't He? Paul and all the apostles, I was looking the book of Acts today, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Paul and the apostles faced religious opposition all the time. Amen? In fact, it was the religious that persecuted them. Understand? Amen. So we're going to... Know, I know you know that this is not, oh, faith, Jesus is coming back. You know, your needs are met. You're going to prosper. I know that's not this kind of message, but we need to be prepared because we have a lot of fallout in the church because of religious opposition. 
Religious opposition comes to people that come to Word of Faith churches, come to churches that are preaching the Word of God, and tries to get them to abandon ship. And they do. And many times it's because of religious opposition. Matthew chapter 15, I'm going to read in verse 12. And it says, uh, Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were displeased and offended and indignant when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be torn up by the roots. Let them alone and disregard them. So that's what we're supposed to do to religious opposition. Let them alone and disregard them. Amen. They are blind guides and teachers. See, they're teachers. And so that can fool people, can't it? But it says they're blind guides and teachers. And if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a ditch. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a ditch. I tell you, we need to... I, I'm always amazed at the Christians that will follow people that it, it's already obvious they're in a ditch. I mean, I've seen Christians follow people whose marriages were a shambles. I guess Christians are just so merciful. But family, our leaders, the Bible teaches us, they need to have it together at home. And if they don't have it together at home, they're not qualified to be leaders. Amen? And so don't ever fall to somebody whose life you already know it's in a ditch. Amen? You already know that, you know, and I'm not talking about somebody that's believing for healing or standing on for healing, or I'm not even talking about those kind of things. I'm not talking about that no preacher can ever have a problem. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about when their life's already a wreck. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and usually that... that it's hard to hide those kind of things, so it's become it's pretty obvious. Amen? Okay, so he said to leave them alone and disregard them. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Jesus encountered much religious opposition. You've probably encountered some yourself. I know you have, in fact. Colossians chapter 2. Thank heavens you're here tonight, so that means you disregarded it. Hallelujah. You paid no attention to them. Amen. Colossians 2... 2 verse 20. If then you have died with Christ to material ways of looking at things and have escaped from the world's crude and elemental notions and teachings of externalism, why do you live as you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to rules and regulations? Remember, religion is big into rules and regulations. Religion is big into rules and regulations. Uh, <clears throat> Why do you submit, do not handle this, such as, he says, do not handle this, do not taste that, do not even touch that, referring to things all of which perish with being used. To do this is to follow human precepts and doctrines. We don't want to follow human precepts and human doctrines, do we? Such practices have indeed the outward appearance that popularly passes for wisdom in promoting self-imposed rigor of devotion and delight in self-humiliation and severity of discipline of the body, but they are of no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh, the lower nature. Instead, they do not honor God, but serve only to indulge the flesh. And so religion has a lot of rules and regulations. Do not touch. Boy, you can just go on TV and they have lots of uh, doc, uh, documentaries now on Islam. Isla, anyway, that. <laughs> and you know, they, the ladies they have to wear, you know, they can't even show their face. 
And they, you know what is always, I, I have found this to be true. You know, it's like, well, you got to wear your dress real long. You got to wear your hair real long. I, I, lots and lots and lots of times that un, behind the scenes, behind all those rules and regulations is a lot of immorality. A whole bunch of immorality. It breeds immorality. It, it, it encourages immorality. Why? Because it gets us talking about our flesh all the time. Oh, cover up your eyes. Don't let your eyes be seen. Oh, you know, well, you know, you know, don't let your ankle be seen. You know, and don't let your, you know, and don't let your, your elbow be seen. And, you know, <clears throat> it gets us thinking about ankles and elbows and eyes. And, you know, we're not supposed to be thinking about those kind of things. We're supposed to be thinking about Jesus. Amen. We're supposed to be thinking about the Lord. And we're not supposed to be even having to concern ourselves about that. Hallelujah. And you know the Bible says that God, for the new covenant man, and he prophesied in the Old Testament how he was going to do this. He said, I'm going to take my law and I'm going to write it on their hearts. And he said, you know, they're not going to need a rule book. They're not going to need a list of do's and don'ts. I'm going to write my law on their heart. And you know, when we really listen to our heart, guess what? We'll dress right. We won't dress in an immodest way as Christians if we're really listening to our heart. Amen. Hallelujah. That's true. We won't. I mean, there's just something about wanting to please Father that just without even thinking how we should dress, just, just wouldn't feel comfortable. There's just something about wanting to please Father that, you know, when you go to the beach, makes you want to put something on over all the, all, you know what I'm saying? That don't want to flaunt it, you know. Hallelujah, glory to God. There's just something about that. Uh, Jesus addresses religious opposition in Matthew 23. Oh, he addresses it over and over. I mean, he is in their face because he is in, he is, he has stirred up by his teaching and by his life, a religious wasness. I mean, they're faunching. You know, even in the Word one time, it talks about they were gnashing their teeth. Religion can get real mad. Real mad. Amen? Uh, <clears throat> mad enough to bomb a world trade, I mean, to blow a world trade center up. Religion can get that mad. Amen? Religion can get so mad that they lose all reason, and you know, they do that knowing they're going to die themselves. That's pretty mad, isn't it? That's pretty stirred up. That's pretty deceived, isn't it? And see, they think that when they do that, that Allah, as soon as they die, Allah is going to meet them and give them some big reward. Do you know how, how devastated they are tonight? That the moment that breath went out of them, they slid into the pit of hell. Can you imagine how devastated they are? See, religion will cause people to do crazy things like crucify Jesus, blow up the World Trade Center, and do all sorts of crazy things. Colossi uh, no, Matthew 23, verse 13. It says... Um, Woe, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. When, we, when Jesus talks to scribes and Pharisees, he's talking to the religious leaders of that day. That's who he's talking about. And he says, woe to them. 
He says it so many times in the next few verses. Pretenders, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor do you allow those who are about to go in to do so. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, hypocrites, for you swallow up widows' houses and for a pretense to cover it up, make long prayers. They pray. Therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation and the heavier sentence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, hypocrites, for you travel over sea and land to make a single proselyte. Man, they witness, don't they? And when he becomes one, a proselyte, you make him doubly as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the sanctuary of the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the sanctuary, he is a debtor bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the sanctuary of the temple that has made the gold uh, sacred? And then in verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, hypocrites, for you give a tenth or a tithe of your mint and dill and cumin and have neglected and omitted the weightier, more important matters of the law. Right and justice and mercy and fidelity, these you ought particularly to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides filtering out a gnat and gulping down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but within they are full of extortion, prey, spoil, plunder, and grasping self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the out inside of the cup and the plate so that the outside may be clean also. Now he's talking about that they need to get cleaned up on the inside. They look real good on the outside. They look real holy, but inside they're dirty. He's not really talking about plates and cups here, is he? In verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, hypocrites, for you are like tombs that have been whitewashed, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and everything impure. Just so you also outwardly seem to to people to be just and upright, but inside you are full of pretense and lawlessness and iniquity. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, hypocrites, for you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. And we won't go on any further. But I just wanted to show you how Jesus, he uh, vehemently opposed the religious leaders of that day. They were fooling the people. They looked righteous on the outside. They were full of dead men's bones on the inside. Amen. <clears throat> they looked righteous because they prayed long prayers and, and did those kind of things. And so uh, it had a form of godliness, but it denied the power thereof. Now, uh, when we uh, encounter religious opposition in the church, I, I don't think, you know, Islam is going to be able to get to you. I think you pretty much have that figured out. But there's some other things that come against the body of Christ that is religious opposition. And some of this you probably have already encountered and conquered. Amen? I know uh, we'll go through it and we'll talk about that as we go. I'm going to list several things here that religious opposition usually opposes. And you'll recognize some of it. Some of it may surprise you and be new to you. Uh, and I'm sure we'll tell you this is not a comprehensive list. Religion can manifest itself in all sorts of ways. But one of the things I have noticed just as I watched, that religion hates the most of all. is something you hear all the time in this church. 
I can tell you, religion hates it. And probably when you first started coming to this church or a church like this, when they taught this, it grated on you. And it was righteousness. It was that scripture that we always use and that is taught in 2 Corinthians 5.21. You who knew, him who knew no sin became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when people preach or say, if you just say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, just go to work one day. And just sitting at the break table say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And watch the hornet swarm. Just watch the hornet swarm. I'm telling you, religion hates righteousness. They pretend that they are righteous. But they hate people who know they're righteous. One reason... They hate righteousness is not because they just they just feel they've been taught by religious leaders that we are we are uh, worms basically we're sinners you're once a sinner you're always a sinner we reinforce they re, it's it's reinforced all over uh, and re, uh, unri, the, the the world is constantly trying to tell you that you are unrighteous. The devil is constantly trying to tell you that you're unrighteous. When you sin, even when you repent before Father, what does the devil try to do? Make you feel unrighteous. Make you feel unworthy. Make you, oh man, I just feel so bad. Oh, I just wish I hadn't have said that. Oh God, I'm so sorry. I mean, when you are repenting over and over and over again, you are wallowing in this unrighteousness that the devil is trying to promote. He loves to promote that you're unrighteous or he wants you to think that uh, you're righteous some other way than besides the blood of Jesus. He hates it when somebody knows who they are in Christ. When somebody knows, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. So he opposes righteousness. Uh, another thing that he opposes, uh, that, or the, that religion opposes, the devil opposes it, and religion opposes is the prosperity message. Why? Because religion wants to have an outward humility. And prosperity does not look humble. However, being prosperous in Christ Jesus and knowing you are is very humble. Because you're giving him all the credit. You're not saying, I'm a self-made man. I've done it all myself. Well, look how smart I am. No, you're, you're thinking, my, oh, look what God did. Look what God did. Oh, God, you're so good. You see, uh, spirituality is always bragging on Jesus, not bragging on self. Now, many times, religious leaders that oppose the prosperity message, guess what? Are very rich men. Many times, they're very rich themselves. But um, maybe it's this way. They want to keep the masses poor and humble. <laughs> and they certainly want to keep preachers poor and humble. Amen? I mean, even the worst sin that can be where religion is concerned, even worse than you prospering is for the preacher to prosper. Amen? So that's one of the things that prosperity, you have to watch out for it. 
Listen, when you hear opposition to the prosperity message, it's religion. Now, sometimes well-meaning men of God who love God with all their heart, who are Christians, like Brother Hagin said, who have been religiously brainwashed instead of spiritually taught. In other words, from their background, all their lives, they've heard that poor, poor meant humble. And that we're not to look and to, we're not to believe God for riches. And that really, when riches come to people in the church, it's heavenly bingo. God just chooses, well, I'll choose you to prosper you, but I choose you to be more humble in your lifestyle, and I choose you to be very poor, and I choose you to, you know, that's how religion. But see, we know the truth of the Word of God is that God's no respecter of persons, and what He's done for one, He'll do for all. And so it's either His will to prosper all of us or it's His will not to prosper any of us. And He said in His Word, I delight in the prosperity of my servant. So if He delighted in the prosperity of even one servant, He'd have to delight in my prosperity. Amen? Hallelujah. And so uh, we know the Word of God. But I tell you, it, it gets to some people. It gets to some people. I know somebody told me in this church recently that they brought some visitors and... Um, some of their family. And they said, you know, the thing they can't handle is they don't like the prosperity. And that she said, they don't want to prosper. See, there's religious opposition. Uh, the third, uh, third thing I found that religion nearly always opposes, and it's funny, is because, um, but they, a lot of times religion opposes tithing. Now, it's kind of funny because they want your tithe, but they don't want to talk about it, and they don't want to put any reward to it. In other words, they want to make it law, legalism. But God gave tithing. Is tithing is not a law. Tithing is a tithing is a uh, system. It's the system of God. It's His method of prosperity. This is how I'm going to prosper you. This is how I'm going to bless you. This is how I'm going to get funds to you. I'll set up a system. We'll call the system tithes and offerings. And um, uh, it, tithing is the lordship part of your, of your life. Tithing is, tithing is the proof of he, he is Lord. Tithing, tithing says to him, you're God. And I know it. Amen. That's what tithing does. Tithing, see tithing, when we give God the tithe or bring the tithe, we hadn't given Him anything. Because He said, okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to reserve a tenth part. A tenth part of your everything you have is to come to me. So we haven't really done anything except obey. When we tithe, we hadn't given, we hadn't even given yet. You hadn't given when you tithe. And a lot of people get mixed up about that and they only tithe and they don't see the harvest that they're gonna, they need to see because they hadn't even entered into seed time and harvest yet. After you, after you tithe and you acknowledge God and there's benefits to tithing, there's blessing to tithing. Don't get me wrong, but then, and only then are you qualified to enter into the next system which is sowing and reaping where you actually sow seed and you begin to reap harvest. And I will tell you, Pastor and I always, if we get in a financial difficulty, we sow our way out. We don't save our way out. Because I, I don't know about you, but I've been in some difficulty before that in a lifetime you couldn't save your way out. And you know, through sowing, God got me out of it in a relatively short time. Not instantly. Sometimes it was several years. Sometimes in a few months. Amen. 
But he, we got, we've always, we always deal with our problems through sowing. We always deal with our desires through sowing. If I have a desire, I always deal with that desire through sowing. I talk to God about my desire, but He always talks to me about my seed. I kind of sometimes go, oh, when birthday money comes, I go, oh, God, I know you're going to get this. <laughs> I've kind of learned Him. He, he's going to get your birthday and Christmas money. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, I got, my dad sent me a uh, $100 cashier's check for my birthday. And so I went to cash it and I said, tell her I want a $100 bill. I told him, I said, maybe I can hold on to it longer if it's <laughs> But I come to church Sunday and pastor talked about being generous. Oh my. I was like, I knew I couldn't do it. And you know, I was happy to do it. I wasn't sitting there going, oh God, he got my birthday money. Because I'm so blessed. I have to. I am so blessed. I have to sit down and think about something to spend my birthday money. Now, I'm not like some of you. I ain't have a stack of bills over here, and I ain't spend my birthday money on bills. I believe God for bills, and I'm going to... Birthday money's birthday money. I may sow it, but I'm not going to pay a bill with it. And so, uh, I'm so blessed anyway, but, uh, you know, I can always have fun, though. So, don't get me wrong. It's not like it's that hard to find something to spend it on. I can find something to spend it on. But when I, when I got here Sunday morning, and he said, God said to me, I'm like, uh-oh. And I was like, why did I, I wish I hadn't thought of that $100 bill that's in my purse. I wish, you know, I'm just kidding. No, I was glad to do it. Amen. I'll get a harvest. Oh, hallelujah. I, you know, you know, the harvest I get is not uh, so much a specific harvest, although it, it is, but uh, the harvest I get is just that I'm blessed. And there's just so many ways to get blessed. You know what I'm saying? You can only wear so many clothes at a time. You can only wear so much jewelry at a time. And, and it's like Pastor said, pretty soon you get to a saturation point where you just kind of really lose interest. Amen? And really, you can only have so many dishes, especially if you don't eat at home. And you're, you're, bored, with every, you're bored with most of the restaurants in town. You're bored, you know. I mean, it's bad when you get bored in Tuscaloosa and you have to start going to Birmingham to eat. Do you have any excitement? You know, well, we don't do that, but we're not that. But, but really, that's how when God starts blessing you, there reaches a point where you don't need a bigger car. You don't need another car. You don't want another car. You don't want anything else to dust in your house. Amen. And it doesn't mean you never have a desire, because you do. But you, some of you are approaching saturation yourself. I mean, you know, there's not much left, Kevin. Maybe just a fancier car. Maybe owning a house. But pretty soon you're going to be at saturation. Amen. And some of you are already, God is blessed. God is blessed. And so pretty soon what you do is you start redecorating the bedroom just out of boredom. We're like, okay, I'm bored with this now. And, you know, I don't have, I've just got to have somewhere for God to bless me. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, God's no respecter of persons. And you may be in the position I was in many years ago where you can't, and I don't, I am not even where I'm talking about completely. I still have some desires, and I'm not going to bore you with all those right now. But, uh, you know, I, there was several years ago when I couldn't even imagine being so blessed that I couldn't think of much more that I would want. You know, even, you know, bigger house. Well, I, you know, you get to the point where you think bigger house, more to clean. Uh, 
and you know what I'm saying? There's just, there's just so much. And then hallelujah, you know you're, you're blessed. So, so religious opposition opposes tithing. There's always trying to get around the tithe. Even in Jesus' day, remember how Jesus said to them, he said, uh, you know, y'all are, y'all are taking the tithe and saying it's Corban or it's dedicated to my parents. Remember that? They had figured a way around the tithe. In other words, if we say it's dedicated to our parents, then because God said to honor your father and mother and take care of your parents, we won't have to tithe. I mean, in other words, religion's always figuring a plan to how to get around the tithe. Amen? Amen. And you can go on the Internet and you can, list, you can find preachers that are, boy, they are fighting the tithe. They are opposing it. They are opposing the prosperity message. The prosperity message, the faith message is a cult. You, it's easy to find. But my question to you is, and, and, and this is something you need to think about, family, we need to not be so involved with people that we don't know how they live. We don't know if, you know, they, they could be pornographers. They could be, we don't know these people. Why would you believe somebody on the internet that you have never met that may be living like the devil? We ought to be able to look in the eye and examine who we're listening to. Amen? We ought to be able to look in the eye and examine where we're putting our seed. If you don't know them and know it's good ground, that's not a place to sell your seed. Amen? It's not. And you know, I tell you, I don't have any, they call, you know, they call, how many of you get telemarketers? How, calling, they want you, you know, I'm not even going to give to the fire department. You say, oh, Miss Debbie, I don't know what those men are going to do with that money. I don't know any of those men. I'm not going to give to them. Now, I might buy a hot dog at a fundraiser or something, to let, you know, to help them earn money. I'm not against that. A lot of things we put our money in, and we're trusting people. They're not using it. They're not using it for what they say they're using it for. We need to be able to examine things. Amen? And you know, besides all that, this makes me mad. You want me to tell you something makes me mad? They put pressure. I don't want, I'm not going to give to them if they put pressure on me. And they pressure me. I had a man knock on my door recently. And I said, well, my husband's not here and he takes care of that. He made him mad. And he wasn't just saying, and, and you know, I was thinking, well, maybe I could give him $5. But he didn't give me that opportunity. He said, we're asking everybody to give $30. I thought, I'm not giving $30 in this place that I don't know. I don't know this man. Anybody can print up a sheet and say, I'm from the fire department, honey. Anybody can, get, anybody can say, I'm going on a mission trip and get a place to, and, and set up out in front of Walmart. Amen? Isn't that right? I mean, and, and I'm not saying don't get, be spirit-led. Now, be spirit-led, but don't be, don't be fooled and don't be pressured and don't be, and don't be naive. I've been driving down the road in Birmingham and seeing a man stand on the side of the road say, we'll work for money and have the Spirit of God say to me, give him something. And I have reached in and got $10 and handed it to him. I, I am all for being spirit-led. Amen. But I am not for being pressured. And I tell you, the veterans, they called me and they said, 
would you make a pledge? And I said, well, my husband takes care of that, so I am not the one to make a pledge. The next day they called back and said, we just want to call to confirm your pledge. I said, I didn't make a pledge. But they called back about ten times to confirm the pledge. They write down what they want to write down. For one thing, it's like some of them work on commission. If they get ten people to pledge, then, you know, so they say you pledged whether you pledged or you didn't pledge. You know, I tell you, it's a scam. Now, I'm not trying to get you to be suspicious of everything, but neither do we need to be naive of everything. Amen? And our seed, listen, you know, I tell them, well, all, my, all of my charitable contributions are committed. But they'll argue with you on that. Well, couldn't you just help us with, you know, a smaller amount or something? I said, no, all my religious contributions are, I've already decided where I'm going to sow my seed. And man, I tell you, there's some good, there's some good places to sow seed. And then there's some that you don't have a clue. And all I'm saying is don't sow where you don't have a clue. Amen. Okay, tithing. The next thing that religion opposes is healing. Healing. Religion opposes healing. I've noticed that when ministers preach against healing, flat out against it, there's usually one of two reasons. When you get on the internet and find people that are really against healing, a lot of times they're bitter. They're bitter because either they or someone they really loved, they went to a healing place, healing minister or something, endeavored to get healed, having no foundation, not having any knowledge of how to believe for healing, did not get healed, they died, and now they have a bitter. They got an axe to grind, and they're bitter. Another reason that ministers oppose healing is out of fear. Out of fear and uh, sometimes out of jealousy. When a, ma a minister's people, maybe five or ten people in their church, decide to go to Benny Hinn's meeting in Birmingham, if a minister doesn't know who he is, all of a sudden he's threatened. My people are going somewhere, and they're going to listen to somebody talk about something that I don't know anything about. And so all of a sudden I'm scared, I'm threatened. So what am I going to do? I'm going to get in this pulpit. I'm not going to, but that person, get in the pulpit on Sunday morning and just blast healing. Oh, they're all charlatans. Well, you know you've seen the movie. You've seen the movie. I don't know. I know they've made movies against, about the charlatans. You've seen the movie. Amen. And, 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 you know, they blast it because they're scared. Because they're jealous sometimes, but a lot of times because they're fearful, it's like, man, this may, this is, this may get started something I won't know what to do. Then I'll look like I'm not confident or something. Another thing that um, religion always opposes is women ministers. Religion always, nearly always puts women down. Sometimes down further than others. Islam has got them way down, way whipped down. In, in, our, in our nation, they're not whipped down that far, but in a lot of churches, the women are way whipped down, aren't they? And um, the Lord spoke to me, and He told me, it's the same spirit that's behind racism. You think about it. It's the same white supremacist, white male, white males 
are the best and the most and the dominant. That's the same spirit. It's the very same devil that operates behind racism, tries to put women down. Women can't teach in the church. You know, one church I know of, women can't say anything in the church. They can't teach, but they can go teach Sunday school, and they can go to the mission field and teach naked African men. It's like if you're, you can, why can a woman go to the mission field and teach a man and not teach a man in America? You know, think about it. That does not make sense, does it? They'll let them go out into the Amazon and teach. They'll let them go, really? You can be a missionary, but you can't be anything here. Amen? So, uh, another thing that religion opposes, and see, you're going to run into these things. I mean, we actually have had people leave the church because, in the past, because they got tangled up with somebody religious opposing the tithe. And a lot of times people are looking for an excuse not to tithe. And so it's like, well, I found somebody. And so then all of a sudden I've got to rub with the pastor. And pretty soon you're going to have to leave when you start rubbing against the pastor. And he's talking about tithing, you know. So these things, these things affect us. Amen. Another thing that um, is they, they oppose is true church government. They want to be in prominent positions. They want to call the shots. They want to keep control of the preacher. And so they oppose the preacher having any authority. They like to keep him a hireling. Amen. They oppose miracles and all supernatural things. They oppose, they oppose getting slain in the spirit. Being slain in the spirit makes them very nervous. Religion gets nervous at being slain in the spirit. Tongues. They really come against tongues, don't they? And you think, well, this does not affect us. But there are Christians all over town that are baptized in the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues, and they're what I call closet charismatics. They're just speaking in tongues in their closet. Why? Because religion is opposing them. Uh, what the Holy Spirit showed me about this was that um, religious people that are being affected by religious spirits don't like things they can't control. And you can't control the Holy Ghost. You can't control the Holy Ghost. And so when somebody gets slain in the Spirit and they're not able to stop that or control that, they get real nervous. And they say, we got to get that out of the church. I know, and you know, some of this stuff we've already been through and it, it wouldn't affect us in the least anymore. I'd laugh, you know, if they opposed tongues. But I remember when we first got baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues. I remember, you know, oh, I mean, it was a stir because we lived in a town of 2,500 people. It was in the 1980s. It was 1980. It was, and there wasn't, you know, it wasn't on TV like it is now. And I mean, it was a stir in our little town. And we were prominent in our town. Everybody's prominent in 2,500 people, though. <laughs> but we were we were we were prominent because we had been raised there more or less and saved and baptized there and got married there and you know and everybody knows everybody's business in a little town you know little paper that has the little gossip column and tells who's on vacation where and all that y'all y'all don't some of you never been right you know Birmingham you cannot relate but you know it's true it's true it's true it'd be <clears throat> and so um they said, uh, I remember we got baptized in the Holy Ghost and 
man, that Baptist church, oh, didn't mean to say that word, but got all up in arms. And I remember they called my mom off, one of the deacons, demon deacon. I mean, no, that's the, that's a football team, isn't it? Our basketball team, isn't it? Y'all help me. And there's some basketball team or something that their mascot is the demon deacons, isn't it? Is that correct? I am correct. Y'all never heard of it. Is it basketball? They have both. Okay. <clears throat> I can't believe I know more than y'all do about that. That's bad. Y'all are way back then. But anyway, um, he called my mom off and he said, we are cleaning tongues out of this church. And we already got Johnny Gooding and Michael Billings is next. That was a little religious opposition and a little persecution. But I've told you the story before how, family, we just got baptized in the Holy Ghost. We were bouncing off the wall. We were so excited. We were so excited they couldn't steal our joy. We were so happy they couldn't squelch it. And um, didn't even hurt our feelings. Didn't even, didn't even get mad at him. Still like that deacon to this day. My little grandfather said, there's nothing wrong in this church that five good funerals wouldn't fix. <laughs> That's what my little grandfather said. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, they've had those five good funerals and it didn't fix it. Because it's what? It's not a person. It's a spirit. Amen. And um, <clears throat> see, they don't like things they can't control. Amen. And then the next thing that really religion does not like. And, the, you know, the righteousness thing you're going to encounter. And i tell you something else you'll encounter is your freedom in Christ. Religion doesn't like freedom in Christ. Religion doesn't want you to have any fun in church. Amen? See, sometimes even when I'm preaching, I'll say something. If I get out there too far, I feel something raise its head up at me. And I don't mean it's coming from y'all, but what I'm saying is it's coming from our tradition. It's like, I don't know if she ought to talk about that in church. I, I don't know if she ought to... You know, I know one time we taught on sex in Seminole, not here. We were teaching on marriage. We didn't just get up one Sunday night and <laughs> and we were teaching on marriage. It was in context. We taught, well, I tell you, woo, religious opposition. I'm not supposed to talk about that stuff in church. After all, it's all filthy, right? I mean, that's what religion says. Religion says this is just for creating children. This is, you know. God told me, though, that we were supposed to preach on everything in the world, everything that's on TV. If it's on TV, in other words, everything you're facing, we have, we have to preach on it. Because we've got to bring truth to everything that's being put over off of the... And I know my little stepmom, they were just sweating bullets, her and her, my dad. They were just, oh, they were having meltdowns. I was like, and she just said, well, you know, I just come from the old school. I just, this is... Not stuff you talk about. I found that people have problems in those areas. And they need help. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. See, y'all got even quiet on me. Amen. See, it ought to be where we don't get uptight about when we talk about things like that. It ought to be where y'all can laugh and it's okay. See, you're just free. We're not as free as we ought to be. We're not as free as we ought to be. I've noticed this, you know, and I don't think it ought to be this way. Sunday morning is different than Sunday night and Wednesday night. When I've preached, I've noticed the difference. Pastor's done Sunday morning so long, he doesn't notice. 
But I noticed that people act stiff and don't want you to say certain things on Sunday morning, and it ought not to be that way. We ought to be just as free on Sunday. Listen, if it's sin, it's sin every day. And if it's right, it's right. Amen? And so we ought to be able to laugh. I noticed, you know, because on Wednesday night and Sunday night, I'll ask y'all a question, y'all will answer. On Sunday morning, I ask a question, nobody will answer. It's like we don't talk in Sunday morning church. See, let's, let's get rid of that. It, the ones in this room, can y'all help me? Let's get rid of that and let's be free. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Another thing that um, uh, religion opposes, and we've got to give them plenty of time, but we're about to close, uh, is worship techniques. You know, they'll oppose clapping sometimes, lifting your hands. That's getting, you know, we're, it, that's getting where it's not so much of a persecution. Dancing. You know, there could be some opposition to, especially, you know, anything Holy Spirit inspired. And we're, we always teach in this church, we worship in spirit and in truth. So anything that the Holy Spirit inspires, dancing is legal in this church. If you're spirit-inspired. And we mean that versus being man-inspired. We're not ever going to come into church and say, now everybody dance. Why? Because that wouldn't be spirit-inspired. Amen? And we can, the Holy Spirit's supposed to move on your heart. If He can write His law on your heart, He can, he can motivate you to dance. Amen? He can put a, he can put a but, but I would like to make it known that it, you're free. You're free in here. You're free to run. Amen? And, and, but you need to be spirit-inspired, not like, okay, now everybody in this church, we're all going to run. No, I want you to be spirit-inspired. Now, I may say, I, I really believe God's encouraging some of us to run. But still, you need to be spirit-inspired because if, if you're just doing it because I said so, it's just flesh. Amen? If you just do it because Kevin said so or because the pastor said so, it's just flesh. But anything, anything goes. But I will tell you, we worship in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit is always going to walk in love, isn't He? So the Holy Spirit is not going to hurt somebody else. You know, somebody's not going to have to leave with a broke leg because you were Spirit-inspired and you ran over them. Do y'all see what I mean? Because that wouldn't be love, would it? And I know one time somebody told me that they grew up in a Pentecostal church, and this has been many years ago, and boy, it got to be one of those wow services, and a man ran outside in the parking lot and started jumping up and down on every car in the parking lot. And just, you know, the, they're made out of Prince Albert cans, and they're, they're, they're real thin. This is thin metal. And it just crashed the hoods of every car. How many of you know that wasn't the Holy Ghost? Because why that's not love? That's not love. Think of the insurance and the deductibles and, you know, that's money out of my pocket. That wouldn't be love, would it? And, and the Holy Spirit's always going to be moving in love, isn't He? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. I tell you, when the Holy Ghost is behind it, you know, we put catchers behind our people in case they fall, but when the Holy Ghost is in it, when the catcher's not there, you aren't hurt. I have heard some people hit the floor when you heard their head crack because the ushers fumbled. You know, not necessarily in our church, but we've been in some Holy Ghost meetings where they were falling so fast no usher could get to them. 
I mean, it was just poom, poom, poom. And, and, and rushers were just scrambling, trying to catch people. And, you know, Colin always says about Chris's dad, y'all don't know him, but that he always falls crooked or in a spiral or something that no, no usher can catch him, you know. And, and a lot of women are like that, you know, they'll do the twist before they fall. When the Holy Spirit's behind it, you're not hurt. You know, when we put, we put catchers there to catch you, to catch you just one of two reasons. Because a lot of times people will relax and let the Holy Spirit do what He wants to do. A lot of times if the catcher's not there, a woman's going, I don't want to fall. And so she braces or he bra- a man will brace. You know what I'm saying? And can't receive what God wants to do in them. You know what I'm saying? But then also we put catchers back there to catch the ones that are giving us a courtesy fall. <laughs> Y'all have heard of that. I know we had in our little church in Seminole a little girl. We prayed for one of the little girls in our church. And she, boom, she had a little visitor with her who had never been in a church like that. And she looked over there at Natalie. And so she just sat down and laid back. (laughs) It's like, oh, I'm supposed to lay down on the floor. (laughs) Hallelujah. Church coming to church is fun. (laughs) But anyway, you know, if anybody was to get in the flesh, which I don't think anybody would, we kind of gotten past that. And we want an usher. We don't want anybody to hurt themselves. Amen? But if you're in the Spirit, you won't. Amen? You won't hurt yourself. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. Well, religion opposes, doesn't it? Um, <clears throat> the Lord told us, and I'm closing with this, in Proverbs 29, verse 29, 5, that we're not to have a fear of man. If you don't have a fear of man... It renders religion helpless. If you care what people think, you're playing into that spirit. Amen? I care what people think, so I, I'm playing with the spirit of religion. Um, we are not to fear man. We're not to fear man. We're not to be basing our doctrines on what so, you know what other men what some man thinks sometimes men are very that uh, that are that the enemy would use to oppose the things of God are very well meaning sometimes they're afraid for our sake they're not you know what i'm saying like you go get baptized in the holy ghost and your little mom or your little dad is like fearful for you fearful you're going to get into something fearful you're going to you know you know what i'm saying that's not god do y'all know what i'm talking about so sometimes the motive behind it's well-meaning. But you can't base your doctrine on what mama's afraid of and what mama's not afraid of. Amen? Or what men might say or what men might think. Hallelujah. We are to search the Word. The Bible says the Bereans search the Word daily to see if these things be so. Amen? We're to find out for ourselves. We're not to believe the Word because some man said. Somebody told me recently, somebody y'all wouldn't know that said their husband, said their husband doesn't read too well and they, he liked for somebody, he wanted somebody else to just read it and tell him what it said. You know, how many of you know you could get in trouble that way? Amen? Depends on who you got to read it for you, wouldn't it? Hallelujah. No, we're to read it ourselves. We're to prove things out with the Word of God. And you know what? Our doctrine, the Bible says that in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Not talking about two or three men, but two or three. The things that we base our life on in the Word are not in there one time. 
They're proved out several times, at least two or three times, but most of them many times. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, let's stand up together. I know that, like I said, this is not a run and shout message. <laughs>